0: Welcome to the Umpiring Fast Pitch Softball Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Pete. And in today's episode, we're going to continue on with the 2024-2025 rule changes for the NCAA. So we made it all the way down to obstruction. And yeah. so here's the rule change for obstruction. To change the obstruction rule two, obstruction occurs when a defensive player, neither in possession of the ball nor in the act of fielding a batted ball, impedes a batter's attempt to make contact with a pitch or impedes the progress of any runner who is legally running bases on a live ball. It can be intentional or unintentional. I love this. I love that wording. Mm -hmm. I think this is great. This lines up with USA softball. This lines up with NFHS softball. It's all about impeding the runner when you don't have possession of the ball. Now, of course, they throw in the the batter as well. So, you know, for... Catcher's obstruction. Yes. But uh, re- when I think about obstruction, I'm almost always thinking about base running. hmm You know? And so, I love that. And it continues to say, while not in possession of the ball, it is obstruction if the defensive player, A, blocks any part of the leading edge of first, second, or third base, or home plate, as defined, or B, otherwise blocks the runner from advancing or returning to a base. So little bit of trouble here. Any part of the leading edge, I'm I'm down on that
1: mm-hmm.
0: with all of the bases. I love that. So you know, as you're approaching second base, you know the the shortstop cannot be blocking the front half of the leading edge of the of the bag. Um, some people in the past have said, "Oh, she she had the whole back." You know, she had the yeah. whole back half. or Well, she's allowed to have the whole
1: leading the whole edge. Whole.
0: The whole leading edge. Now. The leading edge of home plate, as defined, there's a, a picture here in the rules, and it's the, the the short piece of the of home plate. Yeah, where it that, looks like an upside down house. Yeah, it's
1: the it's the left. It's the,
0: the left short piece of home plate is the, is the leading edge. So any everything in fair territory, uh, but not the front of the plate, mm-hmm. and for me. I really wish they had included that the back part of the triangle there in foul territory mm-hmm. as part of the leading edge. That's it. It's not. Um, so it's it's just like first base. It's you know. So I understand why they didn't. You know. It's it's definitely along the line, right? So it, it's definitely yeah. not leading edge for sure. So I, I understand that part. An argument could be made that part of the front of the plate actually is kind of leading edge, depending on where yeah, where you're running. You come in. But sure. So anyway, uh, I like the idea of hook slides. I like the uh, you know that kind of stuff. And, and where's the catcher going to set up? And so not having the front of the plate allows the catcher to set up where we teach them. You know, as you you know when you're when you're teaching catchers how to, how to to deal with the fact that you're about to have a tag at the plate. So all of that's good. I love, it's it's fine. So I'll I'll get over that piece. Um, it just it's, there's not very much of it is all you know. So at second base you have the whole bag at yeah, third is, base you yeah. have the whole bag at home plate you got this little bitty piece right here so yeah, uh, literally the
1: smallest they could not have given you less plate right and still giving <laughs> yeah, you a, as a
0: base runner yep yeah. for sure okay so now we're going to get to this this where we're going to have a lot of discussion i think so the defensive player is not considered obstructing if they are in possession of the ball or they are making a legitimate reaction to the trajectory of the ball after it is thrown
1: and so this is something that is different from some other sanctions right definitely
0: different yes so this goes this takes us back several years where uh, some of the rule sets were in the act of catching Mm -hmm. you know so we went we did really well we said hey you can't impede the runner if you don't have the ball period i kind of wish it was period
1: yeah because wait as i think you've said before in this case, we're penalizing the offense because the defense made a bad throw. Right. Because, you know, that second baseman who's going to, you know, bases loaded, ground ball to the second baseman. She's going home for maybe the, you know, the 4-2-3 the double play or something. She, her throw is off target. It's halfway up the third baseline, which impedes. But, oh, the catcher's chasing the ball. Cool. No, yeah. not cool. She should have thrown straight home on that direct line.
0: Yep. So, I think... I love the idea of clarifying obstruction mm-hmm. because there's, there's a lot. And when you talk to umpires um, of all ages and all experience levels, you are going to get a plethora of different ways to apply the, or how they apply obstruction. Um, just like the interference rule, you know, you you will hear experienced umpires say they didn't even make contact. <laughs> and a rule book says you don't have to make contact. It's right. just one of those you can, I'm sure you can hear my frustration, listeners, Mm -hmm. but it's one of those. And obstruction is very, very similar. It's already difficult enough to determine if the runner was impeded. So just setting up and blocking the plate is not necessarily impeding the runner. Now, that's argumentative, right? Somebody could argue that.
1: Right. Well, because you're saying the catcher could stand the most in the way possible, whatever, pick, pick, whatever in your mind, imagine the most egregious obstructiony position. But if the runner's rounding third, full steam and never loses steam, you're saying the runner was not impeding. She was not impeded. She's trucking. She didn't care where you were standing. She's coming home, baby.
0: Right. Yeah. And you know, so you have to, there has to be an imp- impediment, you know, of the runner. And so that's already difficult enough to, mm-hmm. for, for an umpire to, to, in the heat of the moment, say, was the runner actually impeded by the fact that, you know, one of these things was happening. They were blocking the base, blocking mm-hmm. this leading edge. And so if the answer then is, yes, the runner was impeded. Now the umpire has to ask themselves another question. Was mm-hmm. the defensive player reacting to an offline throw yeah, maybe and trying a, to a catch legitimate, it?
1: legitimate, uh, how did you phrase it? A, uh legitimate reaction to the trajectory of the ball.
0: Yes. So the umpire has to now evaluate that mm-hmm. before they can say, oh, delayed dead ball obstruction Mm-hmm. two, two things have to be decided. And their... even then it adds directory of the ball after it's
1: thrown. Right. So it's yeah, like, it has to be after it's because thrown. if yep. she's, uh, if the catcher, if they're, if they're standing in the, in the base down there, blocking, obstructing uh, and, and the outfielder has not fielded it yet and even come up with the ball. Cool. We've got that. No problem. But as soon as the outfielder then releases it, then we have to consider again, you know, did the obstruction occur before or after the ball was released? Are they chasing a throw? Yep. Et cetera, et cetera.
0: And so um there's there's some notes here. So let, let's go ahead to those and then we'll get to the rationale. And I think we'll we'll have to hit this again. I'll be a rerun breath uh again. But the notes are uh, once in possession of the ball, the defensive player can be positioned between the runner and the base and plate. Absolutely. Yeah, you once got you get the ball, ball, do anything you like. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, we don't yeah. take her out. But, yeah, yeah. You know. No malicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the second note is uh obstruction may be ruled even though there's no physical contact. Sure. So glad to have yeah, yeah. that note for sure. If in the umpire's judgment the runner would have clearly been put out, then obstruction is ignored. I don't know. The, so I'd, I'd that, have a hard time yeah, finding Yeah, that's it, but... that's
1: a little different from other sanctions too, right? Because in that case, you think about clearly put out, you start to get to well, that's where the obstruction award is often go back to the base. You yeah, came it's from. about award. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you you send them back, and that's that would change maybe somehow some coaches because some coaches will see that obstruction or or see the obstructions and send them because yep. they're like, wait, well, worst case, to come back to where I'm standing anyway. Best case, I get home. Yep. You know, uh, and so that might change that a little bit.
0: So I'm anxious for the the 2024-2025 casebook to come out mm-hmm. uh, because I think they're going to be able to put some clarifying case plays in here. Uh, That will help us to understand uh, what they were after there Uh, and then the fourth one Obstruction can occur on a force or tag play makes perfect sense to me Mm -hmm. the The inability for the the runner to slide into second base, you know on a infield ground ball You know if you're if the girls in the way Mm -hmm. and her foot can't get there, you know uh, that's definitely something so uh, then there's the rationale piece to this. It says to more clearly define the basic tenets of the obstruction rule to help coaches teach their defensive players how to properly defend at the basin plate. I love that. It's mm-hmm. perfect, and I think it does that. And then it says to assist umpires in making the correct ruling in these situations, and I think that it did that very well, right up to the point where you, you gave the umpire two things that they have to consider before they put the delayed dead ball out. Yeah. Now, some... It, it's possible that some clinicians may argue that it's okay to be a little preliminary or premature on the delayed dead ball, mm-hmm. and then change it and say, "Nope, it wasn't." You know, it ended up not being because she was making a legitimate, you know, uh, attempt to to catch a ball that was thrown offline. But I, I, mm, th- I hate those situations because I don't want to, I don't want to change a call, right? I want to make the call once and then be able to defend the call.
1: Right, that, as we were saying, you might change what people do based on seeing that right that sign.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, well, we've had it happen. Yeah, coaches will send them send them home. You know, mm-hmm. if they've been obstructed after round and third. Yep. Okay, so you know, I guess I can get off my soapbox about that one. I think we made strides in the right direction for sure. To say, hey, you're not allowed to impede a runner without the ball. Um, that's that's absolutely done you, you know you have to give them access to the entire leading edge um, so i love that so we we almost got there as far as i'm concerned and, and again i don't think we should be putting the the offense in peril because the defense made a bad throw but uh there's people smarter than me who are in charge of making these rules and so hopefully i'll get a chance to talk with them about it at some point uh so what's the next one here pete step stride
1: yeah so uh we're 4 to allow pitchers to disengage from the playing surface during the delivery the pitcher's pivot foot could become airborne with one push from the pitcher's plate. However, pitchers would not be allowed to replant their pivot foot, resulting in pushing off from a second point and having the pitcher being further away from the pitcher's plate. So this aligns with international softball rules, proving the consistency of enforcement of illegal pitches, and recognize the current majority of NCAA softball pitchers lose contact with the playing surface to a certain degree. Unlike a pitcher who replants, Pitchers do not gain a significant advantage by disengaging from the playing surface, and therefore should not be penalized.
0: Oh boy! So for <laughs> so, those, yeah. So for those of you who listened to our uh, Federation episode, uh, because Federation has made a very similar rule change, where you're now allowed to leap. Essentially, is what this what this rule change says. Disengage from the playing surface uh, means leap. So the replant is kind of a similar thing to a crow hop. So it's where I'm I'm re-establishing a place from which to push, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what a outfielder does when they're crow hopping. And that's not that's not allowed. So you can't do that, but you can leap. The problem that I have here is that I don't have a problem with allowing them to leap. I have absolutely no problem with that. I think it's definitely going to be accomplishing the goals that, that they were after here, you know, aligning with the international stuff. Uh, okay, I'm not sure that how necessary that was, but it's definitely, definitely aligns with it. Um, and I don't
1: know if this is some patriotism or whatever else. It's our sport. We invented it. How, <laughs> are we, right. how are we letting somebody <laughs>
0: else set our rules?
1: That's not cool. Yeah.
0: That's not cool. You know, it's uh, it's really a, it's a testament though to how cool this sport is of ours is because it is picked up in in other countries. Um, yeah. So very happy about that. Uh, and then also, you know, it it um, just about all of them leapt anyway to some extent, like mm-hmm. it says here. And it was very inconsistent for for people to to call it. I mean, there's no absolutely no question when you watch, you see somebody leaping, you say, "Come on, Blue, she's leaping." Mm-hmm. Nah, she's fine.
1: We saw it in the College World Series. They they had a camera right down from third base to first base yep. in that cross section, and you could see the yep. fact that she never her toe did not drag.
0: Yep, no and so, doubt. And I remember several years ago when when my daughter first started to pitch, I was watching a World Series game. I remember the restaurant I was sitting in the, the TV it was on. You know, mm-hmm. I just don't remember who the teams were. Ooh, yeah, I'm sorry, I got to throw UCLA under the bus. So I don't know what year, but somebody would be able to look that up because they were in the World Series, and she was she was jumping like crazy. And I was, I was going nuts cause they weren't calling it at all. Yeah. You know I'm like? Oh my goodness. So anyway, um, inconsistency in calling. So this is gonna, gonna make all of that go away. Um, I love that. The thing that I really, I struggle with the most is, in this is in the rationale piece where no significant advantage, so i have two problems here one of them is that um, you know i've heard umpires use those words before those words didn't exist in black and white to my knowledge in the rule book when i started umpiring you know Mm -hmm. it wasn't the you know as long as she's not gaining an advantage she's allowed to do it you know that that wasn't anywhere you know in the rule book but i've heard umpires say that well now it's kind of been legitimized here in black and white So I don't like that very much. And then the idea that um, they weren't getting a significant advantage, I can tell you that um, I've seen pitchers before that were leaping and when told they weren't allowed to do that, you know, fix it or it's going to be, you know, it's an illegal pitch, you know, and and you better fix it. Then they pitched less well. Mm -hmm. So that particular pitcher was gaining an advantage by leaping uh, because when she wasn't allowed to do it, she did not pitch as well as she did. So... The idea of gaining an advantage, you know, it's like, ah, I'm not even sure that needed to be there. You know, It's like, you know what? We're letting them leap because most of them right. do it anyway, and umpires are inconsistent about calling it. So we're just you know, going to let it happen.
1: You know when you're giving court testimony or you're speaking to auditors or you're doing whatever? Say less. They ask you to yeah. you know, say exactly what you need to say and don't embellish, don't say more. They could have got away with that here. They said everything they need to say. Yeah. We're leaping to get with international standards. You know, it's it's inconsistently yeah. called. We're just, we're, we're clarifying. Next point. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't need to throw that in. Maybe they they invited some criticism, perhaps. I don't know. Moving
0: on. Yeah, and if anybody doesn't know, I mean, go to the Johnny Depp trial. I mean, listen to how Johnny Depp answered some of his questions. I thought he did really well. it it, it was Amber Heard or Johnny Depp or whatever. But yeah, do you know what day it is? Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) He didn't ask you the day. He just asked if you knew it. Hey, everybody. We just wanted to drop in here for a second. Uh, Coming to you after this is recorded. Uh, some other information, some things we thought might be a good clarification here about uh, this pitching rule change. Uh, and so, we just wanted to share that with you.
0: Yeah. So, from the NCAA Umpire Clinic in Indianapolis with Steve McCowan and the, the rest of the, the SUP, there's a clarification on rule 10.5.4 step slash stride that says, if the pitcher for a second time in the pitching motion bears weight on the drive leg or back foot prior to release of the ball. This shall be interpreted as a replant, and I think that that goes along with what we recorded in the episode originally. But we just wanted to to clarify that uh, this was added, you know, during the umpire clinic, and kind of leads the leads a bit of credence to the the idea of weight bearing on that back foot. Oh, okay. The next one is a big rule change as well. So uh, time allowed between pitches. Um, So this is changing, so the the change of the time between pitches from 25 seconds, which was the old 10-10-5 rule, to 20 seconds. Uh, So the time begins when the pitcher receives the ball or the umpire calls play ball, and the pitcher must begin their windup before the time expires or a ball will be awarded to the batter. Batter still must be within the batter's box within 10 seconds of the pitcher receiving the ball or the umpire calling play ball. If the batter is not within the batter's box within that 10 seconds, a strike will be assessed to the batter. Note, this is not a change. That's always been the rule. But it's included to help clarify that the responsibilities of the batter still exist during the 20 seconds. So, this is to improve the pace and the flow of the game. Get in the box. Let's go. You yeah. Know, we're going. And pitcher, there's no reason for a ton ball.
1: of time between pitches except for, I don't know, just wasting time, honestly. Yep. So, yeah, cool.
0: Um, and so, there's a lot. We're going to talk about, we're going to put a whole episode in on this one. Mr. McCowan has has indicated to the NCAA community that, um, you know, this new rule and how we're going to be enforcing it um, is going to be an iterative process. So the mechanics manual does address it. We've got some new signs to help us address that. And there's some new mechanics about how this is done. And we'll we'll do that in another episode because that that in and of itself will take quite a, quite a bit of time. Uh, The next rule is the visual Visible Action Clock and it's kind of in in conjunction with the one ahead of it where this allows a visible action clock to assist in enforcing all the timing rules. Uh, So the timing rules being between innings 90 seconds and the 20 second pitch clock uh, where you can actually, um, sites can have a visible action clock. Um, And there's a couple of different configurations for that too. Visible by the home plate umpire, visible by the base umpires, visible yeah. by both. How do we handle that? So that's why it's going to be a it's going to be fun, you know, this season with the with the action clock.
1: and their rationale, they say that it's been pretty effective at major minor league baseball and NCAA baseball in improving pace of play. I mean, I can tell you, actually, I think they might be relaxing at major league baseball at the time because sometimes it was a little too fast. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it has all the games sped up by quite a bit uh, this yep. year.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, every time a batter, I remember in Major League Baseball, it's, you know, the guy's going to step out of the box, take off both gloves, re-hook both Mm -hmm. gloves, adjust that thing, you know, a couple of different times, you know, take a couple of swings, whatever. So, yeah, we can get it there. Uh, Warm-up pitches is the next one. Uh, Allow the pitcher one throw to any base during the warm-up time allowed. So... In NCAA ball, uh, we don't have a number of warm-up pitches. We don't have anything like, we have 90 seconds from the, the last out uh, of the former half-inning uh, until the first pitch. And that, that 90 seconds, they can do warm-up pitches, and now they can throw to one base one time. Any base they want, but
1: um, one time. And it used to be they could only throw to first base, it sounds like. Because it says, currently, the pitcher is only allowed one throw to first base. The change allows them flexibility on how to use their warm-up throw, and it says the warm-up allow any base. There you go. In case they want to throw a second or third. Yeah. It seems like it seems, if that's the rule, it seems useful because it's like why first? Let them throw. Yeah. yeah. Let the flexibility happen.
0: You can throw wherever you want. Sure. Yep. Uh, so the next section, uh, previously approved rules changes that are effective with this season. Um, so ball specifications. So this is uh, about the compression of the balls, two seventy-five to three hundred seventy-five pounds. And so that has to happen now, January 1st, 2024. And this is to improve inventory availability and assist in cost containment by standardizing ball specifications with NFHS and USA Softball.
1: Hey, everybody. Us again uh, coming to you from the future. So we just wanted to uh, jump in here and maybe add some additional clarification around this ball piece as well. Originally, I wanted to include some of these things at the time, but we couldn't find the reference. David was able to, to locate it. So uh, we're going to add some clarification here.
0: So, yeah, on the new ball rule, apparently there have been some problems with suppliers and being able to, to get these balls for coaches to be able to get these balls. And during the uh, again, during the the national convention for umpires from the NCAA, it was uh, indicated that the umpires are not the ball police and we're not going to not allow contests because of supplier issues and ball issues. So the idea is that the ball and the, the appropriate ball to be played, uh, either in the tournament or during the series, is the responsibility of the hosting school. They will bring balls to the to the game. And as long as they're in a playing condition, uh, then we are gonna play forward and um, not be the ball police specifically, so.
1: Yep, and that's similar to what the uh, NFHS did uh, as they were transitioning balls. There were a lot of ball issues and uh, they kind of did the same thing. So it makes makes sense.
0: And Pete, I thought it was very interesting to, to know, you know, that the NCAA softball folks uh, have been in contact with the ball manufacturers. And it was the ball manufacturers that actually reached out to the NCAA folks and said, is there any way that we can get all of the sanctions to agree on the compression of the ball? And uh, so they actually were able to get that done. So now USA Ball, uh, NFHS Federation, and NCAA now have the same uh, ball um, certain um, specifications for compression so and size actually I, it surprised me also to know that um, the size of the ball can go from 11 and three quarters to 12 and a half um, was a is a pretty big difference um yeah. but um so uh interesting uh, stuff but anyway so uh, we're not the ball police uh, let let them play as long as the ball is playable uh, you know, not scratched up, dinged up, you know, um, lopsided, you know, let's, let's play ball. Exactly. All right. Back to the episode.
1: And so the rationale is that they're going to improve inventory availability and assist in cost containment by standardizing ball specifications with NFHS and USA softball. There was a time there around COVID where I know it was really tough to get new balls and stuff like that. So I don't know if they're just trying the goal is if you have every manufacturer making the same specification of ball. And right people to buy them and stamp them and be in good
0: shape Yeah, I remember there was a change in the high school where like who was Ohio gonna use you right know, as the as the actual legit ball I think they were going the with um, the one They were headed right. headed to the one that Casey liked better the Thunder. Yeah, Heats. I think yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Okay, so we have a few minutes left so there's two new mechanics in the in the CCA mechanics manual uh, and they have to do with uh, well one of them at least has to do with one of the new rules and it's the time between pitches so Um, When the home plate umpire determines a time between pitches violation has occurred, he is to call time. They are to call time and step out from behind the catcher. Use the right hand to tap your left wrist held at or above shoulder height to indicate a timing violation. So you're kind of tapping your watch. So you hold your left hand up and tap your watch. Um, The watch area on your wrist because we don't wear watches on the field. Mm -hmm. Um, as umpires Uh, immediately after tapping the wrist point to the player that violated the rule then give the new count do not signal the strike if it is strike one or two if the result of the violation is ball four show four fingers with the left hand and award the batter first base if the result of the violation is strike three signal the out and verbalize strike three the batter is out don't say ball or, you know, you're going to say ball on the batter. If it's a ball, if it's ball four, you're going to go ahead and say ball four. Take your base. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a strike but not strike three, you're just going to say, you know, the violation is a strike on the batter. And, and then you're going to move on. If it's strike three, you're going to go ahead and bring them up. And then the second one, new mechanic, is a touch signal. So this is fun. One of the hardest things for a plate umpire to see is if a defender touches a batted ball down the line. This new mechanic is intended to provide the plate umpire with more information to determine if that ball is fair or foul. When a base umpire is on the line and is 100% certain that the defender touched the batted ball, they will signal touch, which is the same as the volleyball signal for touch. You know, it's swiping across the hand. Well, I think it describes that here. But the determination of fair foul will still belong to the plate umpire. To signal the touch, the umpire will bring the left hand in front of their body, shoulder height or higher, with the palm or back of the hand facing you. With an upward motion, brush the fingers of that hand with the fingers in the right hand several times so that the plate umpire can see you. Biggest thing here, and it's in bold, the determination of fair foul still belongs to the plate umpire. Yeah, Um, just because they
1: touched it, they may have touched it foul. Yeah, that's right. Um, And, you know, we, we talked about angles earlier. You know, the the base umpire is being helpful to let you know that there was a touch, but based on his angle, he may not have seen that that ball was, you know, in the chalk or was to slay to the side of the chalk.
0: Yep. That's right. There's a two changes, three, three changes, um, to, to existing mechanics. So one of them is counter-rotated leaving early responsibilities. So the sup has determined that in the counter-rotated position in all runner configurations, in other words, if you, one is on the field. Mm-hmm. So if U1 is on the field, Um, U3 will be responsible for all runner leaving early calls at first and third base. U3 has a better look at R1 and is able to look through the play to determine any violations. Uh, So this change will allow the crew to be more consistent with this call. This change specifically impacts starting with R1 and R3. Refer to 212 to see the updated mechanics, but it's essentially, you know, U3 is over there. They're able to see the runner at third and the pitcher. They're able to see the runner at first and the pitcher. Mm -hmm. So they should be able to make that call. Love it. Love it. Um, Next is plate umpire signaling without mask in hand. So it's preferred that the plate umpire removes their mask prior to making a signal. They hold it in the opposite hand of the one giving the signal. Mm -hmm. Hold the mask in the left hand when signaling with the right hand and hold the mask in the right hand when signaling with the left. This is not a mandatory mechanic, but preferred to decrease any possible confusion between the signal for fair ball and delayed dead ball. This one, I got busted out on this one. My man, Frosty, he got me. Um, so I was at a USA tournament and I'd asked Frosty to come. Hey, evaluate this this game, would you please? You know, so I was doing a, doing a plate. Well, that was one of the pieces of feedback that he gave me. I had I'd gone down the line to watch. Uh, to see if a ball was fair or foul on the first base line, you know, mm-hmm. fly ball, and it landed in fair territory, and I pointed into the into the diamond with my mask. Yeah, because in USA softball, you remove your mask with your left hand. You remove your mask with your left hand in NC two A softball. You always have your mask in your left hand, left hand, left hand, left hand, left hand. That way, you don't punch somebody out. You know, mm-hmm. you don't throw your mask at somebody if you if you um, you know you're doing a, a sellout type thing. And so, I just always had it in my left hand. And then he said, "Hey, you know, if you're going to signal with that hand, get the mask in your other hand." So something I have to work on this year. Um, I even did it in my fall. I did a, uh, I did a few NC two A games in the fall, and I caught myself still holding that mask in my hand and, and pointing fair uh, with the mask. I do it.
1: I, I can tell you. I know for a fact I do it because the mask goes in my left hand. So yeah, I, I that's have. Where it goes? It. Yep. Yeah. So we got to remember so I gotta think about that.
0: that. Uh, And then the third one, uh, change and update, uh, base umpire being set when inside the diamond. So as a base umpire starting in the infield, there are several things that can impact our positioning and pre-pitch preparation. We need to be sure that we're not blocking a defender's line of vision or in the way of an infielder. The onus is on the umpire to continue to make positional changes as needed. However, every umpire in the infield needs to be in a set position prior to their responsibilities of leaving earlier in our legal pitch. Using the set position demonstrates that the umpire is engaged and ready for each play. I always did this anyway. Yeah. And I think it was USA Nationals feedback that I received that said, go set when the plate umpire um. Yes, you pop down in unison. Yep. So mm-hmm. so I've always kind of done that anyway. So, And with that, that uh, is the changes for both rules and um, the umpire manual for 2024-25 NCAA. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Yeah, everybody. See you next time. Thanks.